Good morning. My name is Kristen Sanders. I'm the children's director here, and we are so glad to have you as part of our family here worshiping the Lord today. Uh, we are excited to be part of a local body. We are also excited to be a part of what God is doing all over the globe, in other counties, in other states, and in other countries. And so it's my privilege to introduce this morning Mike. He's with Block Ministries, and he's going to tell us just a little bit about what their ministry is doing and also what we can do as our local body to better support him. So, Mike, tell us something about Block Ministries. Well, Block Ministries is uh, 21 years old. It started with a very simple outreach to at-risk after-school kids. That's how it started. It has since grown into this giant octopus of um, just every possible place in a person's life we reach into it. Uh, we found out that the parents needed job skills, otherwise the kids were still gonna be at risk. We found out that people needed food and clothing and uh, training and just a myriad of different things. So over those 21 years, that's what Block has grown into. I would like to tell you that Block stands for, it's B-L-O-C, and, and it stands for Believing and Living One Christ. And tell us what area your ministry serves. We are in, it started in Cleves, and we are in Cleves, uh, Lower Price Hill, and Price Hill. We have uh, 27 different buildings reaching out into the community with, as I said, a myriad of different things. We work with uh, at-risk uh, women, uh, women who have chosen to put things into their body, uh, making incredibly poor choices, uh, and then they make incredibly poor choices to get the money so that they can buy those things to put into their bodies, hopefully protecting young ears here. Uh, but I think you're catching on to what I'm saying. We have uh, two facilities that, uh, three actually, three facilities that work with those women. So what's a time recently where you just knew God showed up in your ministry? Well, uh, that's a funny question because God shows up in the ministry every day. Uh, but um, I think really impactful to me uh, is, uh, and, and we don't just work with those ladies. We work with uh, ex-cons. We work with the neighborhood. We work with the kids. Uh, but recently a woman expressed to me that she felt rejected by a church, by a pastor, because of some of the choices that she made in her lifestyle. By the pastor himself saying, you need to stop, quit talking, quit asking questions. And I thought to myself, gosh, it's a good thing I'm a Christian guy because I'm gonna punch this guy in the face. Because <laughs> that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to, to reach out to these people who are hurting to reach out to these people who are confused and to embrace them and to love them. He did that with the woman at the well. He did that with the woman caught in adultery. He did that throughout his ministry. And uh, that's what we try to do daily uh, with the 50 to 60 people that work with us in Price Hill, Lower Price Hill and Cleves. So God's showing up and all, all the opportunities he's yeah. handing you to, to show the world what he, he looks does. like. He does. He puts it right in your lap. Yeah. So how can we, as a local body, how can we support you? How can we get involved? Well, obviously, you already support us financially, which is fi fantastic, and you can raise that anytime you want to. We won't, we won't be upset. Uh, and, uh, but there's, uh, you know, a, a lot of people ask for you to pray for them, and I, I think a lot of times that just kind of slides by us when people ask that. But I know that prayer changes things. And I know 
that if you're praying, if, if, if this group of people, and the, a little bit later, the second group of people, if that many people are praying for what we're doing and who we are and who we represent in those communities, then lives change. I've seen it happen. But we lose our strength because people start to not pray. And we can feel it. And we lose our impact. And then people start praying again, and wow, things happen. It's amazing some of the things that have happened. So while Mike shares with us specifically how we can pray, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bibles, and I want you to open them to John 4, the woman at the well. And right beside where it tells you that story, I want you to write block, B-L-O-C, ministries. <laughs> and every time you're there from now on, take that moment and pray for them. Pray for their ministry and tell us, how can we be praying? Well, always praying for boldness. Uh, we work with uh, a pretty scary group of people. Uh, as I said, women that live and work on the streets. Uh, guys who literally have committed every crime you can think of. Uh, I taught a guy who was arrested for murder how to silkscreen print shirts. That was scary the first day, uh, but he turned out to be a great guy. I love him. And so pray for our boldness because uh, we are a lot of times um, intimidated by the overwhelming aspect of what we're doing. Pray for our, uh, uh, that the right people come to work with us and also pray for us to get uh, the support both financially and physically uh, to make these things happen. We have a lot of programs, so we need a lot of supplies. We need a lot of ways uh, to change people's lives. And sometimes it just comes down to giving them a dresser or a shirt or a pair of pants. You know? Well, can we pray for you right yes, now? Yes, please. All right, let's pray. Father, what good prayers. Praying for boldness to speak your name loudly. Praying for workers for the harvest that your gospel will go out and touch hearts in places that maybe wouldn't be reached otherwise. So I thank you for Mike. I thank you for his evident heart for you and for hurting people. I ask that you will pour your blessing and your favor upon him, that the work of his hands will be your hands, that what he does will please you, that you'll grant him success, and that, uh, that the harvest will be beautiful and full that you'll have people's hearts stirred to walk alongside of him, to share life and disciple and speak your truth. Give him your words, whether they're words of just grace, words of truth. Thank you that you're perfect in both. And Jesus, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.
see you now. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Uh, I just want to welcome you to Cobblestone Community Church. Uh, we are not going to actually have like a special Father's Day message or anything like that. So if you all men are like, I'm out of here, he's not going to preach to me. Uh, we're just going to talk about the Bible. I think that's sufficient. Uh, but we do want to acknowledge the fact that, hey, men... You are important to the kingdom of God. We are thrilled that you're here. Uh, in a second here, we're going to pray for you, so we're going to make it as awkward as possible. Uh, but in the meantime, I will say this. If you have a dad, call him. Uh, I, I know also, I do this every Mother's Day and Father's Day. Like The church always likes to like lift up moms, lift up dads, and then we also have these situations in this room where dad's not around anymore. And so today is not like, yeah, dad. You're like, oh, it's sad. Uh, some of you will be visiting a grave, maybe. And so we want to pray over all those situations. Uh, and so what we have, we, I don't think there's a gift we could give you that you'd be like, I feel cherished. Uh, like, just like your kids, like they're going to give you horribly burnt pancakes and like something stupid, like a tie. Um, we have candy bars right outside this door. We also have protein bars if you're like, I'm bulking. I don't care. Um, but you grab, you grab whatever you want when you leave here, and that's just a little way of saying, hey, we see you. Uh, if you're a man, you can have one of those, all right? So it's not just for dads. We just like love the men of this church. And so what we're going to do, uh, men, we're going to have you stand up. And you're like, oh, buddy. Yep. No, no, none of the men stood. They all looked at me like, you bet I am. And then if you're married or connected to that man, we're just going to put hands on him. You don't even have to ask if you're married to him. Just be like, I'm praying for you. Uh, and if you're, you're not married to them, if you're a woman, we're just going to pray over the men of this church uh, and the dads and all the situations that could be in this room. So if you're not standing, get around these men, okay? No one's moving still. This is going to be one of those services. I can already feel it. You know, it's just too weird. Men are like, don't touch me. I got a big bubble. Well... The Lord's breaking in today, boys. <laughs> All right, Jesus, for these men that are standing right here in this room, I pray your goodness, your favor, your strength, that you would just be all over them and through them, that if there's burdens placed on them that are not of you, Jesus, you would lift them off in your name. For the dads right here, God, that you would give them supernatural strength to lay down their lives for their wives and their kids. I pray that you would give them your eyes for their work. You would give them your eyes for their coworkers. You would fill them with your Holy Spirit. You would pour these men out for the glory of your kingdom. You would have Satan's arrows not even be able to hit them, that he would be blinded to their presence. And so, Lord, glorify yourself in the men of Cobblestone. I pray that they would rise up, that you'd make them strong. You'd make them what they're supposed to be. Help them to use their words the way they're supposed to, to think the thoughts of God. Lord, I pray that you would show off in their lives. For those that are in this room, Jesus, since today is a heavy day, I thank you that you're the God of all peace and the God of all comfort. And so, Lord, thank you that you're a good heavenly father, even if, like, the earthly dad did not come through. That you're a good heavenly father, even if our earthly dad's not around anymore. And so, Lord, we celebrate your, like, you're our father in heaven. And I celebrate these men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? You can sit back down, guys. Sorry for making you stand up. This is what we do. We pray, all right? Uh, and so happy Father's Day. Uh, I hope you enjoy your sugar rush after this. Um, we are still in this Exodus series, and I'm excited about it, but I'm also like, I don't know, for the last couple of weeks, it's been heavy, man. We're going to get into the Ten Commandments today. 
And whenever, anytime you talk about law, you talk about Ten Commandments, you have a certain group of Christians that love the law, and you want to like, you want to fight about it, you want to get real legalistic about it. But I'm hoping this will be like a life-giving day. So go to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we'll be in verses one to five, which is the first two commandments, which, in my opinion, are the building blocks of all the rest. Uh, this is what we've said. The point of the exodus, the point of coming out of slavery, the point of the Moses story was not the fact that God wanted to deliver them out of like slavery, physical slavery, to make them a sovereign city-state. No, God wanted to deliver them out of slavery that they might know him. And in the same way, we've been trying to bridge this gap for the entire time, that all the imagery of exodus is what Jesus did for us. He slaves, saves us out of the slavery to sin and doesn't just save us and go, have a good life, clean you up. No, he saves us to know him, to walk with him, to be his. And as we talked about last week, and I'm going to rain on this here in a second, is to be people of his presence. I mean, the whole book makes this argument. When, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, which we didn't read, but Moses says to Pharaoh, from God, let my people go that they might worship me. Don't let my people go so they can be free. No, let my people go so they might worship me, they might know me, they might see me, they might be mine. In the same way, the first 18 chapters really, I mean, it's all action. It's plagues and frogs and gnats and boiling blood, like waters that are blood and like death angels. It's crazy. Go read it. But then the last 20, 21 chapters are God going and showing up on a mountain, which we talked about in week one. And God issuing commands to his people that they might be able to come into his presence without being burned up by how good he is. And so if we only focus on the first 18, and then we get to chapter 20, and we get into the law, and then we don't see the full picture, we'll miss the point. And so it makes sense to me that God would open up Exodus 20 with what he does. Because you have about a million-ish, million, it's probably a little bit more than that, a few million former slaves, they're set free. But in their hearts, they're not living free. They're not living the way that God created them or the way that God wants them to live that will actually lead to them like flourishing and having life. And so they're committing adultery and they're stealing and they're, not, they're, not, they're, they're building golden calves here in a little bit. And so God goes, here, I'm going to lead you in the, in the way that's going to lead to your life. And so I don't want to ignore the first 19 chapters and then launch into morality. And I'll show you what I mean. What did they do? For God to come save them in Exodus 1 to 18? Like, what part did they play? Who flexed their power? God did. They cried out. They were like, God, help us. We, the Egyptians, they're, they're you're abusing us, and they're holding us down, and they're, they're this whole people cries out to God, and God comes in, and he flexes, and he goes, I am the God that saves you. So they didn't do anything. Did you do anything to earn your salvation? Did you do anything? Did you have any part to play other than there was a moment that God called you by name and said, I already did all the work. Come to me. Same thing. So the, the parallels are amazing. And so when you get into Exodus 21 through 5, what I want you to do is I want you to remember you are made for the presence of the Lord, not the law. The law is to lead you to the presence of God. The law is not to become the thing. And it, when we know this because of the Pharisees, the Pharisees forgot who gave the law and started just staring at it and making rules about it and adding on laws to it. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 5. We're going to stop a, a quite a bit, but verse 1. 
right after God comes on the, on the mountain, Mount Sinai, gathers all the people, makes a border, says, don't cross this. The mountain's on fire. Things are shaking and a big trumpet's blown. That's the context. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So I love breaking out scripture. So number one, and God spoke all these words. Who's speaking? God is. God, the everlasting king of all things that spoke and everything was, that is, and everything that will be, is belonging to, is speaking to a group of people. And he says, I'm the Lord your God. God tells them who he is. He's like, I'm revealing who I am. Here I am. Our God reveals who he is. What boggles my mind all the time are like, tell me what God's like. I, just, I can't find him. And I'm like, well, he told us. He's our God. If, we, if he didn't reveal himself, we would not know who he is. But our God's not hiding. He's not playing hide and seek. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he adds one, the very first command. You shall have no other gods besides me. Your version might be saved before me. And so he's going, okay, I brought you out of physical slavery. You're not making bricks out of straw and mud anymore underneath a taskmaster. You are now saved into a loving relationship with me. And now I'm going to free you from the true form of slavery, which is the idols in your heart. And so he says, don't have any other gods before me. And then he adds on to that, which I believe they're the reverse side of a coin. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so right out the gate, God draws a people, saves them through the Red Sea, leads them out, and then gathers them before the mountain of God, shows off his power, and then says, here I am, you're my people, I saved you out of slavery, now listen to me, this is what you need to do don't have any other gods besides me. Me and you, we're exclusive. And then make sure you don't have any idols that you're building and you're worshiping. So he's building worship and honor and a loving relationship from the get-go. And so the Ten Commandments are really, they're the summary. They're the center of the law. So let's see how many nerds or geeks we have in the room. Ready? How many laws are there in the Old Testament? 613, just a few, all right? If any of you boiled your go a baby goat in its mother's milk this morning, you're a lawbreaker, all right? We can just list, I mean, there's lists upon lists, and we start getting bogged down by the list, but the heart of the law is the Lord wants his people with him, but he's holy, and they're not, so he starts to establish, this is what your heart, I want your heart to look like. This is the place where freedom will exist. This is what I have for you. And here's the thing, the commandments, the laws, all these rules, they're, usually rules and commandments, they're different when they come from a father, correct? So Pharaoh had given the Israelites rules. Like, this is what you will do, this is what you will eat, this is where you will stay, you will not, I mean, they, they were tied to the Pharaoh's law. But then God shows up, and when he gathers his children, his children, before Mount Sinai, this is not like, hey, you better measure up to these rules, or I'm not going to love you. This is, I've already loved you. I've already saved you. I've already secured you. 
and I'm leading you now. And here are these boundaries. Here's these laws. Here's these things that will be good for you and good for, for others. So I think a lot of times, like, when you get IRS new tax code, do you rejoice? <laughs> yes, all right? Nobody, when we think about law or rules, uh, we love it, right? I mean, some of us are just wired that when you were growing up, mom and dad were giving you rules, you weren't like, thank you, mother and father. I rejoice in these laws. Like, none of you, correct? If you have kids, do they naturally rebel against the laws that you put in front of them? Right? So we're kind of wired as humanity to do this. But when you disconnect the law from the lawgiver, you begin to just kind of misunderstand the heart of the law. I put things on my kids all day long. And none of them are like, I think I just feel like you shall never drink milk again. Like, I'm, I'm never just, like, out of the blue. No, it's usually things like don't play in the road. Why? Why, why would an unjust father such as me tell my kids, why can't I play in the road, Dad? Because you'll get hit by a car and die, right? Why can't I play with the rabid squirrel in the backyard, Dad? Because it'll bite you and you'll die, And this is what you see. This is not a God going, you better measure up or I'm not going to love you. This is God going, I love you. Let me lead you, which will lead them into life. We do this as earthly dads, but when it comes to the law of the Lord, we start to like flip it almost. We start to use it as like an amble above people's heads. And surely it does. It's a mirror. It shows me where I don't match up, but it's given from the heart of a father who saved us and loves us and wants life for us. The bigger thing, the thing that's going to free you from a lot of this guilt of the law, is I believe the law is all about Jesus. I think it points to him, shows your need for him, heralds that he's coming, and I'll prove it to you out of Luke 24. This is Jesus' words, red letters. Everything written about me, who's the me? Nobody's Jesus? Good. Just yell Jesus or God, you're in church, you'll be safe, okay? Everything written about me, everything written about Jesus, because Jesus is talking in the law of Moses, must be fulfilled. So everything that Moses wrote in this book of the law, one of them, there's bunches of them, that everything that Moses wrote from the Ten Commandments to the laws about the tabernacle to the laws about purity, all these laws are about me. Jesus says, and they must be fulfilled. And so Jesus goes so far, I mean, he's like, this is about me. So the Old Testament is about who? Jesus, you're in church. The New Testament is all about who? Jesus, you're in church. The whole Bible is about who? Jesus, right? The whole thing points to a need for a savior who's not giving us external laws that he's going to like kill us with if we don't match up. He's writing this law on our hearts and allowing and transforming by the power of his blood to be able to do it. It's an entirely different covenant. So we believe everything is foreshadowing Jesus is coming. We believe all these things are just pointing to the need for a savior. And so once again, The people in Exodus, they didn't save themselves. The people in Exodus, they couldn't save themselves. They were stuck. They were not even really participants in the salvation. God was like, frogs, death angels, Red Sea. I mean, God's doing all of this. And so this all shows us how Jesus saves us. Like Jesus went freely to the cross. Jesus freely 
was whipped, beaten, spit on, and cursed. Jesus could have called down a legion of angels and said, time out, I'm done. But Jesus died. Jesus three days later rose, and now he lives and calls you by name to save you from your slavery. And so don't just look at the law. Look at the lawgiver, and Jesus is in the middle of these laws. Jesus even is going to show up in the New Testament. He's going to talk about the law, and he's going to sum it up. Do you know how he summed it up? Love God. Love others. So the first four are all about loving God. Don't have any other gods besides God. Don't have any idols. And then you get into things like don't lie, don't sleep with people you're not married to. Good rules, right, for loving other people? And so I think it's kind of like this. Um, when my kids, I always say to my kids, go out in the backyard, don't go in the front yard. Where do I always find my kids? In the front yard, right? Uh, I, the other day I walked out of my front and Joel is on the roof. I have no idea. I, the kid was like, dad. And, I'm, and I think he wanted me to look up and be like, yeah, you did it. But instead I had to, I was like laughing, but I was like, dad, down down and he had climbed the pine tree in our front yard and jumped onto the roof so he jumps back into the pine tree climbs down and I'm like buddy that's fantastic let's never do that again right and so typically if you have kids like mine you do what in your backyard you build a fence right you build a fence because you're like, if you climb the fence, bad things, I want you safe. I want you to experience the fullness of the backyard. And so when I picture the fence that God's put around us, each of the laws is like a plank in that fence. And they're all designed to keep me like kind of safe. But in our culture, I really feel like because we're so, I don't know, we just reject and we rebel. We say like, look at this oppression that limits my freedom. My unjust father, he must not love me. And I see it the exact opposite that I love them so much that I have, I have yelled at my kids for being on the roof, for being in the road. I can go through all these examples where it's like, it's not like a, hey, Joel, I just would appreciate it if you didn't play chicken with cars in the road. No, it's like, get out of the road. And then he's like, dad doesn't let me do anything fun, right? You know, like, go juggle some chainsaws, Joel. I mean, like, this is... We don't do that. And so God is saying, hey, I want safety for you. I want life for you. And I think they're in order of importance. So in verse 3, you have the first command. You shall have no other gods besides me. Martin Luther, great guy. You should read his stuff. If we could ever bring ourselves to keep the first commandment, we'd naturally keep the others. And it's true. You'll have no other gods besides me. So if you commit adultery, which is one of the one of the commandments, what have you done? You've made an idol of your pleasure, your rights in your relationships over the one that you should have with God. If you don't keep the Sabbath, if you make an idol, if you, there's, we just go, we're going to go through them all next week, but we're sticking on the first two this week. If you keep the first one, I'll have no other gods besides the God of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, no other. You'll keep all the others. And so if that's the flip, you shall have me as your God, the flip side of that is you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. So don't worship, don't glory in, don't give the weight of your honor to anything created. Those things go together. Have no other God besides me, don't worship anything besides me. 
And so I think you got to understand what, what's, what's being called out. He's calling out idolatry. We struggle with that idea. Anytime I talk about idolatry, I usually have somebody go, well, we don't bow down to any, like, we don't have totem poles. We don't have, I don't have a little idol in my bathroom. Like, I don't carve things and then bow down to them. No, but we do in our hearts. And so this word, I think, idolatry, kind of conjures up this idea of very primitive people. But if you're a travel person, if you ever even go to, like, Greece today, you will see images of gods and goddesses everywhere today from back then, but today, uh, you'll have Artemis and Athena and Aphrodite. I mean, there's these gods that they would go to for very specific purposes. And no matter what they needed, maybe it was rain, maybe it was a good sex life, maybe it was fertility, maybe whatever it was, they would go to that god and they would worship or they would sacrifice or they would give what was required. And so I think most of us in this room, when I say, here's, here's the god of everything saying, make sure I'm your one and only and make sure you're not worshiping anything else because that's an idol. We go, well, I'm not like, I'm not bowing down to statues. I don't actively call out to anything else other than God. I obviously, I'm good on this first commandment. It's irrelevant, irrelevant to me. But in verse five, he, he kind of starts to break down what an idol is by what you give to it. Go to verse five. You shall not bow down to them. Or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So he starts off in verse 4. Don't have any carved images or make any idols or worship them. And so you shall not bow down to them. You should not obey them. You should not give in to their influence. You should not serve them. So don't give them your money. Don't give them your attention. Don't give them your life. For I, the Lord, and this bugs a huge part of our population, am a jealous God. And we'll talk about all of those. But if you just break each, each of those three things down, you have three key words. Don't bow down. Don't serve them. Because why? Because I'm jealous. So the first one, bow, bow down. When he says don't bow down to idols, he's talking about, he's addressing our obedience. Whom do you obey? Whom do you listen to? Who has your allegiance? What part of your life is driven by God going, I want you to go here, I want you to do this, I want you to live this way? Or is it driven by your desire for money or fame or relation? What, what drives you? What, is, what do you have to obey other than God? Um, I, I think you need to look at these things because we can say very quickly with our mouths, God's first and foremost in my heart. These Israelites, if you would have asked them who their God is, they would have said Yeshua. They would have said, the Lord, Yahweh, God, the Lord Almighty. He, that's our God, the guy on the mountain right there. But then very quickly, their history is golden calves, idolatry, stealing. You're going to read some crazy stories in here where they just get sucked into the earth for stealing stuff. And so very quickly we can say, no, I don't bow down to any idols. It, it's this idea that something that commands our obedience and since we don't usually go to places and go, hey, what do you want me to do? Think of it like this. What makes you lose your temper? What makes you lose your temper? What, what, are you mo like, what has made you the most bitter? And you're like, what does that have to do with bowing down and idols? Because usually those things, anger, bitterness, and, and those feelings of rejection, they kind of show when you think back and you're like, what? what you were building an idol on, what you were trusting in. 
So if I mess with your ideas of what you're owed or what you deserve, I guarantee I'll get some anger and I've pretty much figured out an idol. So if I tell a man or a woman, hey, I don't think you should focus on a relationship right now, and I'm met with, get out of my business, I'm like, I think I found an idol. If I meet a man and I tell him that he needs to love his wife like Christ loved the church and die for her, and he says, you don't understand me, man, like, I'm like, I think I found an idol. And so where's your anger at? How about, let's talk about urges you can't control. So sexual urges, relational urges. You're like, I just can't help it. I just can't help. I'm not in control. I have to do these things. I don't have, I I just can't control these desires. This is something you're bowing down to. And so is there anything that commands your obedience more than God? So let's get real practical. God says, spend your money this way. And you say, well, I'd rather not because I don't, I like how I spend my money. If God says, hey, honor me this way, do you come and honor him that way? Like, raise your kids up in the Lord. Don't speak this language. Don't put before your eyes evil things. So you're like, well, I I like watching what I watch, and I like seeing what I see, and I like spending my time how I want to spend my time. Is God the God of your heart? So don't bow down to idols. Don't serve idols. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So when he's talking about serving an idol, in the day to serve an idol, if it was a certain idol, you would sleep with prostitutes in that temple. And that's how you would serve it, and you would get the blessing of that idol. Or you'd give them money, or you'd give them meat, or you'd give them part of your life, or one of your children even, so that that idol will give you blessing. So where are we serving things that are not of the Lord? And I think an idol really you can look at as something you're trusting with your future. And so the same way you can kind of ask some questions. What do you most trust to give you what you'll need for your future? So think about it this way. What do you worry most about losing? When you wake up in the middle of the night and you had a nightmare, what are you most worried about? Is it that your kids are safe, that you're financially stable, that you, uh, like you're always going to be somebody? Like what, what is it? It's a good sign that your heart is like kind of holding on to something that's not the Lord and he wants to have freedom for you. I think another way to think of this is um, where do you turn for comfort? You can really quickly find what we trust in, what we're bowing down to, and what we're serving by where we turn when we need comfort. So when things hit the fan, and I've, made, I've joked about this before, do you run to TJ Maxx and buy a candle? And you're like, I'm safe now right? Like, where do you run when things go bad? Because that's where you're looking, that's your functional God. Because you could say with your mouth, you can come on a Sunday, the Lord is the Lord of my life, but then when things go bad, you run to alcohol, you run to pornography, you run, to, you run somewhere, but it's not the Lord. That's a real sure sign of an idol. And, and then finally, he follows that up with, don't bow down to them and don't serve them, and I'm going to tell you why, because I'm a jealous God. Now, any husbands in here have been like, I'm a jealous husband, right? That idea in our culture gets really jacked up. But the, the image he's throwing is one of a, a husband, that a husband wants the love of his wife, does he not? Any husband in here that's like, I don't want her love, is a liar. He does. He's just too emotionally stunted to say it. He does. And, and so I think jealousy in our, in our world, yeah, there's some real weird, like, jealous men in the world that are, like, stalkers, and on Facebook, they're like, be my friend, I'm poking you, like, all that stuff. Not, that's not the image here, all right? 
The image here is like if Anna, my wife, comes to me, and this is all hypothetical, none of this happened, please don't email me. Um, Anna comes to me, and she's like, there's some, there's some other men, plural. And I don't think we should be exclusive, Andrew. And so when, when can you fit them in? What? When can I fit them? Like, when can I pencil them into our life that we have in the covenant that we made? Let me think, never, right? And when, when we look at this, like, I don't want men around her. I love my wife. I've covenanted with her that it is an exclusive thing. And for it not to be exclusive would ruin it, would it not? And so God loves his children like a father loves his kids. God loves his people like a husband loves his wife. And so for God to say, I'm a jealous God, is to say, God, I'm a God that loves you and wants to protect this thing that we got going on. Stop cheating on me. And so God is looking at us with the eyes of like, we're married. We made a covenant. We've, we're joined together. You don't get to sleep around. You don't get to invite other people in. We don't get to be, we, we, we get to be exclusive. And so an idol then is anything you love more than God. It's where you follow God here, but then you invite something else to kind of satisfy this itch. And you invite something else over here to satisfy this part. Because what if he's not enough? That's like cheating on your spouse. And so let's ask some questions. Um, if it says have no other gods before him, besides him, do we? And I mean like search your heart and when you're down and when you need comfort and when things go bad, where do you run? And when your anger is out of control and you are serving yourself by it, like those are signs that we have some heart work to do. So who is your God is the most important question you can answer. And be really, be, I want you to say Jesus. Jesus is my God. But they would have said the same thing. And so what God's doing now is he's showing them, man, like, if you follow these, you will be free, truly. I, I believe that all of these, like, bre breaking this commandment is what causes us to break all the others. Breaking the first commandment, like, why would you lie? Idolatry. What, why, why would you make, what, what would make you murderous? You're like, just cut me off in traffic and you'll find out. But, like, what makes us get there? is the love of ourselves over the love for God and the love for people that we should have. Like, what makes us covet? What makes us rob? What makes, the, what makes pastors like me resent other pastors that are more successful than us? What makes you cheat on your taxes? What do you, why do you get jealous? What makes the Wall Street guy steal money? All of it's idolatry. All of it. And so when we look at this topic, it, Exodus 20 verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, I've already redeemed you. I've brought you out of slavery, and now will you let me be your God? Me and me exclusively. And when you follow me, I'm going to lead you to life. I'm going to lead you to purpose. I'm going to lead you in not just physical freedom, but in soul level, heart level, spiritual freedom. And so are you going to be, let him be your God or not? Are you going to receive his salvation? Because when I look at this, like God has freed them. God has made a way for you to be free in this room. And I, I think freedom is going to require two things. Number one, to repent of your idols. 
to repent of the places that you go to that are not him, to repent of the things that you've invited in that supplement your faith in him, to repent of the things that you give your life to, to repent and then receive what he has for you. And so as we, yep, as we start to close, I think there's two things. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, you, you would give your life to him. Because your problem is not a moral law problem. Your problem is a God problem. Who is your God? Is it you or is it the God of heaven and earth? And so Jesus comes and he saves us from slavery, from the slavery of the sin and the idols that lead us to death. And then if you're a Christian in this room, uh, you have been set free. And today, by the grace of God, my prayer is that God would have done this work in you as you're listening. Like, do I have any other gods beside the Lord? I know I say really quickly, I don't. But by the Holy Spirit, like, you can leave your sin here. And where you have rebelled, you would repent and be free. Where God has said, don't have any idols, and you go, okay, well, the way I spend my money is not in line with Scripture. And the way I get angry and the things I look at on the Internet, those aren't in line. So you've rebelled, which requires you to repent and receive salvation from the Lord. What I think I'd like to do um, is end in worship. And so the band's going to come up, um, but I was watching on just a documentary the other day, and it was just about this, this nation that was oppressed, right? You ever seen a nation that's oppressed, and then they get liberated? And then all the people, like, go out on the street, and they're singing, and they're shouting, and they're dancing, because they, they were stuck, and now they're, they're free? You ever seen that? You kind of have the picture in your head? That's us. That's us. We are the people that Jesus, he has conquered, our, he has conquered Satan. We are the people like he has set us free and we can live free and he has shown us how. We are the people that have a father who's king of everything and loves us. Who has not given laws to crush us, but has given laws to lead us into life. So guess we're just gonna, we're gonna worship. Free people have something to celebrate and we are free in Christ. So let me pray, then we'll worship, and then we'll pray for some, some people. Jesus, thank you so much that you came in fulfillment of the law to die the death that we deserve. And so as we look at the law today, God, I just pray that as we say, do we have any other gods before you? That you would search our hearts. You would show us the errors in our ways, and that's not because you're, like, that's not a judgment. That's a discipline of a father. So I pray that you would purify your bride. You'd pull us out of the slavery that we so quickly run back into, that we are, if we are free in Christ, we are free indeed. So make us free today. Free us up from our sin, from our shame, from our guilt. And Lord, I thank you that we get to worship you now in that freedom. so much for the cross, for your blood there. Thank you that you freely went, you freely died, and that you rose in power, and that that power is available today. And that as we approach you, Jesus, 
said, come all you who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. And so I pray for anybody in here that's your child, they feel weary, they feel burdened, that they would come to you and find rest. So we run to you now, Jesus. We triumphantly stand and cheer and shout that you made a way, that you are our Savior, and that you're good. We put you first in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship, church. Thank you.